The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome back to another episode of Francis Watch, sponsored by Novus Ordo Watch. As always, we want to give a special thank you to Novus Ordo Watch, who have sponsored every Francis Watch episode ever, which you can find at FrancisWatch.org. You can find Novus Ordo Watch, of course, at NovusOrdoWatch.org. My guests for this episode, as always, are His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Associate Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great. Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio, and also a seminary professor at Most Holy Trinity. Your Excellency Father, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here again. Pleasure to be here once again. So, as usual, when we have to cover these quarterly episodes, we have a lot to cover. And the very first piece of news that we're going to cover today is the official changes to the Missal in Italian. This is not really a novelty. This is just something that happens periodically. But what's been interesting about this one is changes to both the Our Father and the Gloria. The Lord's Prayer will no longer say, and lead us not into temptation, but will instead say, do not let us fall or be abandoned into temptation. And the Gloria will no longer say, peace on earth to people of goodwill, but will instead say, peace on earth to people beloved by God. Are these substantial changes or accidental changes, Your Excellency? Well, they're substantial with regard to the uh, original text. The original text in Greek and our Father is, and lead us not into temptation. The meaning is obviously not that God would be leading us into temptation as if uh, uh, trying to lure us into sin. Obviously, that's not the meaning. The meaning is that uh, that we should you know give it, give us the grace so as not to consent to temptation. That's the sense of it. So he has translated it in that way. Do not uh, let us fall or into temptation. That is the correct sense of it. But the danger is that you cannot change sacred scripture according to what you think the sense is. Uh, that's why St. Jerome was very slavish to the Hebrew when he translated it into Latin, because he said, I want you to hear sacred scripture and not Jerome. But, you know, the modernists have repeatedly uh, done precisely that, that is to uh, change the text in order to fit a sense that they think should be applied to it. So it's a very dangerous thing, even if the sense is correct. It's a dangerous thing, and the church has always, you know, very deeply respected those texts and has commented them accordingly. And and, and so, what it is 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 a change of the, uh, you know, a departure from the text of sacred scripture in order to fit the sense of it. And yes. the obvious, yes, go ahead. Well, it, this is a trick that, as we know, they've been pulling for years. 
the uh, dispute over translating promultus as uh, for all and for all men and then eventually for all people, uh, the, uh, it, there is a danger, as His Excellency pointed out, in tinkering with it. And the idea behind, let us say, the promultus uh, or the excuse for it uh, at the time was that, well, uh, in the Aramaic, there's really not uh, a word for many. And so what we're doing is we're sort of giving it a correct sense by doing this, by ignoring the Latin and uh, by going to the Aramaic. Well, it turns out it, it was something that was uh, false because otherwise, if you apply that to the other verses in scripture, uh, you end up with something instead of for many are called, but few are chosen, for all are called, uh, and all are chosen. So yeah. you, you end up in nonsense, but it's it's part of the the program of manipulation. They call that in uh, modernist liturgical circles dynamic equivalence, and the, uh, that you know, see, they're really conveying to us the the sense that's going on. But of course, what in fact they're doing is they are manipulating the sense to the extent possible. The idea behind Promultus, obviously, was that it was some of the uh, words of institution were uh, uh, to be rephrased in such a way that they were uh, ecumenical. So there's, there's always an agenda going on here. Mm -hmm. yeah, the principle is very flawed, even if you come up with the correct sense. The principle is extremely flawed. It, it just leads to a, a distortion of sacred scripture very, very easily. Yeah, and the question is, I look at the second thing, where in the world did they get this, uh, the peace on earth to people beloved by God? Well, they, let me explain that. <laughs> okay. The, in Greek, it's kales eudokias, which means uh, of good, of goodwill. Uh, and there's two ways to take that. That is either the goodwill of human beings toward God or the goodwill of God toward human beings. Okay. So the, one of the ways in which you could translate that is the, the, the peace on earth to those whom God loves. So it's not, again, it, it, it's not a, a necessarily a false translation, but it is certainly not the traditional translation. And everyone has taken it to mean goodwill on the part of human beings and not goodwill on the part of God. Uh, but you know, you could not necessarily fault it because it, it is somewhat ambiguous in Shakespeare. But as you say, Your Excellency, the issue is not whether it's it's faithful to the text itself, but the principle on which these changes are being made. No, you could go either way on that on that translation. In other words, it's it's of goodwill. Well, whose goodwill? God's goodwill or the the goodwill of people toward God? the people who observe the commandments. Uh, you could go either way with that text. The, the, uh, uh, one question I would ask you is, uh, thus far, you know, maybe the Greek, but uh, what about the Latin? Could you get uh, both senses out of the Latin, do you think? You could, yes. Whose who's will? Bone voluntati. So you're talking about God's will or the, people, the will of people? Uh, okay. You know, I mean, I'm not here to defend... Uh, Mr. Bergoglio, but the, the, uh, I mean, just to be, you know, objective, you could go either way on that translation. 
And it's a, the, the uh, rationale is probably to tinker. Uh, you yes, get, you and, know, you know, it, it, the traditional understanding of it is the first way of men of goodwill, meaning of people who are, but, you know, it's a new thing. And also in the, in the Novus Ordo in English, they say, uh, peace on earth to all of God's people. I think that's what they say. All of God's people on earth or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. to his people on earth. Which really, you know, I mean, that, that just goes far beyond it. You know? And then it's what I call Bible stories. Yeah. It's, it's no longer a translation. It's, it's Bible fiction. Uh, so, but yeah, it, it's tinkering. It's novelty. You know, it's, uh, you know, what, what else could we say? And then you get the headlines, well, the Pope changes their father, okay? And, you know, so you're getting questions about that. And it's precisely the uh, idea. A lot of people figure, well, you know, if you can change the Our Father, why not the Sixth and Ninth Commandment, you know? Yes. You know, yes. So it's, it's, just, it's like adding adding St. Joseph to the canon. You know, it's a funny story about that. Pius the Ninth was asked to put St. Joseph in the canon and his response was, well, no, because I'm only the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so, a, I mean, that, that's the respect response. that the church has for these age-old traditions. And, and, uh, so, and of course, Pius X rejected it, too, for the same reason. And then St. Joseph was put in the canon by John Twenty-Third, and then Bonini took it out uh, for the new Mass. So, I mean, it, it, was, it was that breaking the glass of sacred traditions. And uh, it, that's, that's exactly what it did. It created that mentality, just like the gradual uh, reforms of Bonini through the 50s and early 60s, so that priests were just used to, oh, just something else coming down the line from the Vatican now. And, you know, little by little, they were in the mood for change. Uh, it's the same thing. It's 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 fooling around with sacred scripture. So they'll watch. They'll fool around with some other texts too. You know, but you know the, the New American Bible and all of those uh, have done all of that garbage. There is really no good translation out there except the Douay Reims. That's the only good translation, an accurate translation from from Latin and the original languages to English. And uh, uh, so. Um, uh, it, it's just this contempt for tradition. That's, that's what I would call it. Well, there's more contempt for tradition on, on offer today, uh, Your Excellency. We recently got the text Instrumentum Laboris, which is the working document for the upcoming Amazon Synod, which is going to happen in October. Now, when, I, when I first heard the word Amazon Synod, Stephen, I have to say that I, I thought it was a perhaps a gathering of leftist nuns. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the nuns on the Amazon bus. Are <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> well, they, they may be there too. They may be there too, Father. Uh, so this, this synod will be taking place in October of this year in Rome, but the preparatory document has come out, and as usual, it's, it's lengthy. It's, it's 64 pages. We don't have time to get into all of it today, but we pick some choice paragraphs to to share with our listeners, and by share I mean horrify them. And we'll start well, with. Uh, are we going to call this section uh, Amazon Prime? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, 
changes here. <laughs> it comes. It comes with. It comes with free free banana shipping, Father. <laughs> it does. <laughs> the jokes are irresistible. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> so this 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 very this very first paragraph we're talking about actually discusses multinationals and the you could say exploitation of the peoples. <laughs> So paragraph 17, the communities consulted have also emphasized the link between the threat to biological life and spiritual life, that is, a comprehensive integral threat. The multifaceted destruction of the Amazon basin produces imbalance, imbalance of local and global territory, imbalance in the seasons, imbalance in the climate. This affects, among other things, the dynamics of fertility and reproduction of fauna and flora, distressing all Amazon communities. For example, natural destruction and pollution affect food production, access, and quality. And this goes on to end with, in the words of the indigenous people themselves, we, the indigenous people of Guaviare, which is, I guess, an older name for Colombia, are part of nature because we are water, air, earth, and life of the environment created by God. Therefore, we ask that the mistreatment and extermination of Mother Earth cease. The earth has blood and is bleeding. The multinationals have cut the veins of our Mother Earth. We want our indigenous cry to be heard by the whole world. So, Your Excellency, do you hear the indigenous cries? <laughs> well, the... the I mean, the, this whole thing is predicated on some sort of scientific evidence that, you know, taking apart the, the uh, to a greater or lesser extent, the Amazon rainforest is, is a disaster for the ecology. You know, uh, I mean, when you think about what the United States did with regard to all of the forests in the Midwest, uh, I mean, all of that was, you know, treed, and then they took it all, all out to to make uh, farms, and and I mean, this country was completely subdued that way, and and that re- reminds me of uh, you know the the command of God in Genesis to subdue the earth, you know that that it's here for us to exploit, uh, it's not here for us to preserve as if it's some sort of botanical garden. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, obviously there should not be abuse of that. You know, you can't, we don't want to take every, take away every tree in the whole world. Uh, and there has to be some sort of rational use of those things. But this is just to, to my mind, just another way in which to, uh, promote globalism. See, everybody's guilty and, and we're all, you know, uh, abusing how many people live in those forests? I mean, you know, what's the population of the people living in those forests? You know, is it more than a hundred? Uh, and and uh, uh, you know, these are the people that they want to leave alone, uh, lest they you know be tainted by Western things such as Catholicism, or or uh, you know maybe medicine, modern medicine, whereby they can prolong their lives and, and be helped with regard to some of the horrible diseases that they must come down with in, in that sort of environment, uh, or that they put clothes on, you know, which might be, a, you know, a step in the right direction. Uh, I mean, you can just imagine the, the primitive quality of their lives, and, and uh, it would be, a, you know, a great boon to them to, to be able to enjoy many of the, the 
the things that Western peoples enjoy. But no, they are to be left alone uh, in their ignorance and in their squalor. And we're to preserve this this place for them, you know, and, and it's a sin to undo that, you know. The, the whole thing is, uh, you know, they, they come in with all of this this scientific stuff, which, you know, is impossible to verify. And I think which is very, very highly suspect because it is uh, it is the vehicle for world uh, socialism and world government. So, you know, I, I just put a, a big, huge, a huge question mark on all of it. I, I, I am very skeptical about it, to say the least. The other point I would make is the beginning of it is ridiculous. The communities have also emphasized the link between the threat to biological life and spiritual life. But, and the thing is that these are primitive people, uh, poor people, uh, people who uh, don't have access to all of the supposed scientific knowledge that are out in the forest. Uh, and they're, they're yeah, sorry to say it, but primitives with bones in their noses. And the mm-hmm. idea that the community halted have emphasized the link, that is nonsense. This is, the, this is a leftist boilerplate that uh, was made up by uh, some socialist or communist or modernist and put into this document. And this is typical, uh, the uh, idea of the leftists, that somehow they are the voice of the proletariat, and that this this represents the the voice of uh, the proletariat. The thing is, you ask yourself this question: Is uh, uh, in the long run, would people like this in the forest or in the jungle? And let's not say rainforest; let's jungle. Is the jungle, and uh, would uh, they object to it being leveled? If they could have, let us say, uh, farms and an economy uh, inserted into that place uh, that was inserted into the Midwest of uh, America by our cutting downs of the forest. And what do you think they would say? Why would these people want uh, to get, let's say, on a caravan and a train and sneak into the United States? Mm-hmm. Right? It's Correct. because yes. what we did in the way of is is, um, uh, is is reasonable and is productive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, yeah, you're so. you're obviously not being sensitive to the creatures in there, Father, as it's pointed out in paragraph twenty. A contemplative, attentive, and respectful look at their brothers and sisters, and also at nature, the brother tree, the sister flower, the sisters birds, the brothers fish. And even the smallest sisters like ants, larvae, fungi, or insects allows the Amazonian communities to discover how everything is connected, to value each creature, to see the mystery of God's beauty revealed in all of them, and to live together amicably. It's all well and good for the people to to move to the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But what about your brother Piranha, Father? Yeah. That's all paganism. It's paganism. Worship of nature yeah. is paganism. It's as old as as Adam and Eve, uh, and and that's all it is. And and that that's those are just fancy words for worshiping nature, just the way the American Indians did, and you know the all of the the various gods that they had, and the Romans and the Greeks and the Egyptians and everybody else. 
it, it's the, the degradation of the human race through ignorance concerning religion, which is the greatest of all of its ignorances. Well, you know, uh, the people who wrote these, this document, Your Excellency, will respond that you're being very uh, Christocentric or Christonormative here, or Euronormative. Yeah. Euro, nor, Euro I plead guilty. You're not, <laughs> <laughs> you're not being respectful of their indigenous culture. Guilty, guilty, guilty. <laughs> no, the, the, the people are uplifted by civilization. And the, the bringing of civilization to people, uh, it, it lifts them up. I mean, it, they're living lives that are on the level of survival, practically. You know, I mean, a charity would demand that, first of all, the charity of preaching the gospel to them, which is the most important thing, but also the charity of uplifting their daily lives. That's, that's, you know, it's basic to, to Catholicism. I mean, it's, it's, you know, to help the poor and to help people. For example, the Franciscan uh, missionaries in California taught the Indians, uh, who didn't wear any clothes, by the way, whatsoever, taught the Indians how to till the soil because they did not know how to till the soil. So they were living off berries and various other things that they would gather in the in whatever forests were there before they burned down, owing to the liberal laws concerning uh, taking trees out for the electricity. The, so there were forests there, and and so that's the way they lived. Now, you know, what what greater service apart from preaching the gospel itself can you do for people except to teach them how to, to till the soil? And, of course, those Franciscan missionaries are now considered to be, you know, these evil Europeans who imposed horrible things on the poor Indians and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, this is all really liberal uh, socialist garbage that we're talking about. It's also a cover-up in this sense that, uh, okay, you have this the, the Amazon basin and it's full of these, these poor and these primitive people. Uh, and then you realize that they're living in a country that has an awful lot of, um, of natural wealth, but the political system is so cotton-picking uh, corrupt that these people don't benefit from it. So uh, uh, that's, a, uh, uh, that's another thing that's to be factored in here. It's uh, not uh, just, let us say, multinationals, but it's their own corrupt government. But this is all, this is all grist for the, uh, uh, for the globalist and for the socialist mill. Mm-hmm. That has to be seen beyond the whole thing, is the excuses for world socialism, world government. We're all in this together. We're all killing the rainforest, and we're all guilty, guilty, guilty. This, this phrase occurs again in paragraph 25 that is first named here in paragraph 20. The life of Amazon communities not yet influenced by Western civilization is reflected in the beliefs and rights regarding the actions of spirits of the many named divinity acting with and in the territory, with and in relation to nature. This worldview is captured in the mantra of Francis, everything is connected. Mm-hmm. I suppose... <laughs> Everything is uh, I suppose his brain. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a mantra, there's whistling wind between those ears. 
<laughs> so apart from referring to that, Father, what, what else what else do you think they're going for with the everything is connected so-called mantra? Well, it's pantheism again, and one religion is as good as another, and they float that idea in here uh, in here as well. And the, the it's uh, you're getting nature worship, you're getting pantheism, you're getting uh, you polytheism, etc. And um, it uh, the message of paragraph twenty five is none of this makes any difference. Mm-hmm. It goes back to Vatican II. Non Catholic religions are means of salvation. Yeah, same thing. As I alluded to, listeners, we're not able to deal with 64 pages in just a segment of Francis Watch, but we'll do a few more paragraphs. Paragraph 120, the creator spirit who fills the universe is the one that has nurtured the spirituality of these peoples for centuries, even before the proclamation of the gospel, and moves them to accept it from within their own cultures and traditions. This proclamation must take into account the seeds of the word present in them. It also recognizes that the seed has already grown and borne fruit in many of them. It presupposes respectful listening that does not impose formulations of faith expressed with other cultural reference that do not respond to their lived reality. On the contrary, listen to the voice of Christ speaking through the entire people of God. Well, this is the seeds of the word nourished by the fertilizer of Vatican II. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this is exactly what you... It's a powerful fertilizer, Father. Yeah, I I would say so. You know, there's a lot of, uh, what is it, nitrogen in it. uh, (laughs) Which probably is a pollutant. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably a pollutant. When you think of all the gas that was produced yeah. in order to, to make those documents, et cetera, I mean, you know, probably the, there's nothing left of the atmosphere after that. It makes those cows look like nothing. <laughs> what, are the, what are these seeds of the word, Father? That's a quotation from Justin Martyr. And the modernists have used that, and it has, doesn't mean what they want it to mean. It's a totally modernist idea that your religious experience, everyone has a religious experience, and this is God revealing himself to you in this religious experience. Those are the seeds of the word, and that uh, this is God uh, manifesting himself in you. So all religious experiences are true and valid in that sense. This is modernism. All right, and you formulate ideas from this original uh, religious experience, and those are your beliefs or dogmas. And so all religions, in a way, are one because of that. They all proceed from the same God making the same religious or, or a religious experience in everyone. Dogmas are really you know, of no import because they're just manifestations of your experience of God. So it, there's no idea of, uh, you know, everyone adhering to the same dogma. It really doesn't matter what you believe about God, and and uh, the uh, and the. But the only thing you can say about the Catholic Church is that it's the fullness. See that that's the way they distinguish the Catholic Church. As it's the fullness, and you know, you you should become Catholic because then you participate in the fullness. Uh, you know, instead of having, say, a, a less full glass of religious experience, then you get the whole thing, you know. 
So that, that's pure modernism. What you're talking about there is ignorance, an effect of original sin concerning the things of God. And as I said, it's the worst ignorance of all among human beings. When you think about what human beings have made of religion without the revealed religion of Christ, what, what human beings have made of it is, is just, I mean, it makes you laugh when you, when you see what human beings do. I mean, the spiritism and believing in all of these demons and all sorts of hard things, the Aztecs, you know, believing in, in a serpent, uh, which is a devil, uh, and, you know, and rites that are horrifying, like cutting out people's hearts, you know, in order to serve the serpent. And that's all this is. This is not seeds of the word. And, and uh, the, the only way that these people could save their souls is if they are ignorant, invincibly ignorant of the, the Catholic faith. And they uh, carry out, they, they observe the law of God as they understand it. But, I mean, there's, there's no value to these experiences or, or any of these things that they have. They are impediments, as a matter of fact, to their salvation. If they are saved, it is despite those things because God has given them the grace to, to uh, know at least what is sufficient for eternal salvation. And uh, lest uh, listeners think that this, is, uh, this business about seeds of the word is uh, some sort of thing that was uh, uh, cooked up uh, and, and um, uh, by Francis and company, the big guru of this was uh, their so-called Saint John Paul the Great, and yes. from, the, from the beginning, his the the two documents of his Catechesi Tradendi and um, Redemptor Hominis uh, went on and on about the seeds of the word business. And yes. you're kidding yourself if you think uh, that uh, JP two was some sort of a bastion of orthodoxy just because he denounced abortion. He, mm -hmm. uh, in his first documents, by mm -hmm. swallowing this garbage and spreading it, uh, he uh, undermined all of the foundations of uh, the Catholic faith and instituted in a, uh, or an established in a uh, very definitive way uh, the modernist program of an experiential type of religion that His Excellency was talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in Catechesi Tradende, which is either 1970 or 19, 1979 or 80, he said that children must be taught that non-Catholic religions are means of salvation. Yeah. That, that destroys, in a single word, the entire church, in a single sentence, that destroys the church. Because the only possible means of salvation is the church established by the Savior, right? And that is the Roman Catholic Church, uh, outside of which there is no salvation. That's a dogma of the Catholic Church. So to say that there is salvation outside of the Catholic Church contradicts, it's a direct contradiction of, of the dogma, and it ruins the Roman Catholic Church, ruins it in a word, in one sentence. So anything else that he said that was good, JP2 is is overshadowed by this this one drop of poison that he puts into into his teaching uh, and that's ecumenism the, the ecumenism is the soul of Vatican II and it is the reason for all of the problems in the church
Paragraph 121 continues on with the theme of the Catholic faith being a part of religious and cultural colonialism of these poor indigenous peoples. It is necessary to grasp what the Spirit of the Lord has taught these people throughout the centuries. Faith in the God, Father, Mother, Creator, communion and harmony with the earth, solidarity with one's companions, striving for good living, the wisdom of civilizations going back thousands of years that the elderly possess and which influences health, life together, education, cultivation of the land, the living relationship with nature and Mother Earth, the capacities of resistance and resiliency of women in particular, rights and religious expressions, relationships with ancestors, the contemplative attitude, the sense of gratuity, celebration and festivity, and the sacred meaning of the territory. It looks like they're checking every single box possible in the leftist agenda, Your Excellency and Father. Yes, that that about covers it. Uh, Yeah, this is a really pretty, uh, like, sprinkles to put upon uh, what is what is a uh, a totally primitive life that they're leading, and gross ignorance concerning the things of God, pantheism, paganism. Those are the the proper words for all of those things, and the uh, going therefore teach ye all nations, etc. The solemn command and mandate of Christ to the apostles and to the church. And the first thing that the church is going to do is wipe away all of that ignorance and, and teach the truth to people. So, you know, to, to, this is just uh, wanting to hold them in ignorance. I mean, it is the worst possible and most uncharitable thing you could do to somebody is to let him lie in ignorance. It's like letting him lie in his excrement. Yeah, and doing nothing to pull him out of that. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it's, it, uh, it just makes me sick to, to hear it. <laughs> and it's, it's uh, at this point here, uh, it's become so bold and so open. The, yes. Um, uh, the uh, effects of this ecumenism and all of this is, uh, the, this paganism is, in effect, presented as an ideal worthy of imitation and something that, yes. well, is just fine and is perfectly good. So to overthrow, yes. you know, as His Excellency says, the uh, command of our blessed Lord to make disciples of all nations. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it moots the whole point of, uh, moots the whole point of the church. Yes. You know, this goes back to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, too. Remember, he said in the 18th century that the the best state of man was when he was running naked in the forest. That that this is the you know the the, the ideal of man, uh, and, and that society and religion have corrupted man. Jean Jacques Rousseau. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it's always it's always helpful to hear lectures on morality from someone who gave up all of the, his illegitimate children to to the Catholics yes. to take care of for him. Yes. 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 Someone wrote a book about that, Stephen. Uh, and I think it's beginning with Rousseau. As an English author, his name escapes me now, but I think it was called something like Liberals. And this um, author uh, took the um, uh, the heroes, the gods of the left, and uh, went through and documented how horrible they all were. And Rousseau was one of them. Marx was a perfectly awful person. Um, yes. 
all sorts of 20th century people, the playwright Gunter Grass, who was considered, you know, a really big deal uh, as far as um, uh, being a dramaturgist, etc. And I mean, one after another, uh, personally, there were people you wouldn't want to have anything to do with, but they're the ones who have formed the the uh, attitudes and the philosophy and the non-religion of modern society. Yes. Well, after all of this wandering, we get to paragraph 126 and uh, to what some might call the good stuff. If, if, the, if the previous stuff wasn't good enough for our listeners, the following should be kept in mind. A, a process of discernment is needed regarding the rites, symbols, and styles of celebration of indigenous cultures in contact with nature, which need to be integrated into liturgical and sacramental rituals. It is necessary to be attentive to grasp the true meaning of symbols that transcends the merely aesthetic and folkloric, specifically in Christian initiation and marriage. It is suggested that the celebrations should be festive with their own music and dances, using indigenous languages and clothing, or I suppose, or lack thereof, in communion with <laughs> nature. consists and with of a pair of underpants. <laughs> it, a liturgy that responds to their own culture so as to be the source and summit of their Christian life and linked to their struggles and sufferings and joys. Well, you know, here, here we see in the, the, on the face of it, and it should be pointed out to conservatives, uh, that their citation is to Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the constitution on the sacred liturgy that talks about enculturation. And we see in, uh, 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 a classic example here of the futility of appealing to uh, Vatican II for any sort of uh, uh, Catholic uh, liturgical agenda, because one paragraph contradicts another. And we uh, and in SC in Sacrosanctum Concilium, you get uh, well. Yeah, things should be universal, etc. Latin uh, chant, primacy of place, keep the organ, etc. And then uh, that's uh, it's the yes, but okay. And then on the but side of it, you get stuff like this. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Father, you, you on the but side of it, you get some butts apparently. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> this is simply, Stephen, remember, this is the enculturation of John Paul II's theology of the body, okay? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and all, all roads yeah. lead to the epistle, babe, Father. Yes, that's right, <laughs> which is another story. But <laughs> don't get me started on the epistle, babe, Stephen. Okay, so the thing is, though, that uh, it's, it's a fool's errand to go back to something remotely serious, at least in here. <laughs> it's it's for these conservatives to say that, oh, well, you know, we're going to appeal to Vatican II and to the correct interpretation of it to solve these liturgical problems, okay? Because you get two contradictory principles. Of course, that's how it was written. It's supposed to be uh, contradictory, precisely so you could get junk like this and uh, the, the uh, enculturation. And so what you have here is they're simply, uh, uh, you know, the, the lefties uh, who wrote this document are simply running with something that they got from uh, Vatican II. And, you know, that's, the, that's why we always say it has to be dumped and burned. You know, I'm glad you brought this up, Stephen, because our deacon who will be ordained in a few days will have his mass test on Monday. So 
we watch his mass. And I'm glad you brought this up because I will instruct him that he has to work in a few of these enculturating items into the mass. You'll add that to your clipboard list, Father Chicago? Yes, you know, there's a couple of things, yeah. That he yeah, has to put in in order to. <laughs> there, there might be some Amazonians in in the you know in, in, you know at the first mass. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure on the Cajun business. Um, <laughs> something to do with, with um, the uh, with accordions, etc. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. You have uh, to pay attention to the harvesting of shrimp. Okay. Yes, that's right. Well, he should have vestments with shrimp on the back. <laughs> <laughs> crayfish, too. Don't they do a lot of crayfish? They do. They, they <laughs> do. Yes, you know. so, uh, and, and we have to refer to them as brother or sister crayfish, Your Excellency. Yes, that's yeah. right. Maybe, maybe crayfish could be brought up at the offertory or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Some, somehow, I, somehow I don't, don't think that the, the, uh, the pastor at, at Most Holy Trinity would allow that. Um, B, the sacrament should be a source of life and a remedy accessible to all, especially the poor. We are asked to overcome the rigidity of a discipline that excludes and alienates and practice a pastoral sensitivity that accompanies and integrates. Yeah, so the thing is that I think that we're we're talking, I don't know, maybe multiple wives or something. You know, I mean, who knows what... Uh, what they're doing with that vague, uh, that vague idea, uh, oh. how, how in the practical order this is supposed to work out in the Amazon. Uh, right. So, you know, you exclude and you alienate the uh, uh, certain of the wives, whereas you should practice a pastoral sensitivity that accompanies and integrates them. So it's, got, it's something like that. And we have AL, which... Um, uh, is is uh, Amoris Laetitia, and uh, so this is this I guess is the idea. Yeah, primitive. I mean, I don't know the habits of those people, but primitive no. cultures were never known to be, uh, let's say, uh, great cultivators of chastity and, and holy purity. Let's yeah. put it that way. The Ameri- the Indians in Canada, what is now Canada. Uh, offered their wives uh, as hospitality to St. John de Brebeuf when he went up into the yeah. mountains to, you know, and they were offended that he didn't want one. And uh, they also practiced when he went into uh, what is now Ontario, in the winter, they would all live in these longhouses and there would be open fornication and adultery with everybody. Now there is just whatever and with whomever. Uh, and he had to sleep through that one is he had to live in that environment for a winter before they built him his own place. I mean, and in the, uh, there are other, you know, you can go on and on, but I mean, at least in this country, uh, debauchery was, was the norm for, for those primitive cultures. The last paragraph that we'll read for today before moving on to our next segment is C in this uh, paragraph 126. We read paragraph 126, A, B, and this is C. Communities find it difficult to celebrate the Eucharist frequently because of the lack of priests. The church draws her life from the Eucharist and the Eucharist builds the church. Therefore, instead of leaving communities without the Eucharist, Change is requested in the criteria for selecting and preparing ministers authorized to celebrate the Eucharist. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's the clearest request yet. Well, what kind of change? I think they want to let them. I saw something where he's going to ordain married men who are just like decent fellows. So there was something yeah. like that. Uh, well, it's probably an improvement over what they have now. That's all I could say. <laughs> uh, you know, so they're uh, they're going to move from the epistle babe to liturgical bro, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. You know, the uh, I mean, the the state of the Novus Ordo clergy right now is so bad from every aspect and point of view that I think ordaining some sort of primitive in the Amazon uh, who has three or four wives or who knows what uh, is is probably an improvement. Yes, I would say at least at least he's heterosexual, Your Excellency. I mean, that's definitely a positive. And he might even believe in God or some God, <laughs> you know, and which you know would be over and above what what they have right now. Yeah, if uh, uh, the San Register, uh, the uh, Italian uh, commentator on Vatican affairs, has uh, he lots of times has. Uh, very perceptive articles on this and uh, on uh, all sorts of Vatican um, goings on. But he said that this is, uh, document is seen as something that is uh, really ultimately for export, as it were, back into Europe. The idea is mm-hmm. that, well, yeah. if we do this in the Amazon, um, uh, maybe we, we can do this in Deutschland. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, we we can adopt elements of this in in uh, in Germany, and of course the German and Austrian so-called theologians naturally had a hand in uh, putting this uh, particular document together, and they they speak about it as the agenda of uh, uh, Martini. Now, not that you need a Martini after you read it. But, uh, <laughs> that was. That was Cardinal Mar- Martini, who was the horrible Jesuit uh, Cardinal Archbishop of Milan, and these were ideas that uh, he had that he had floated. So the um, uh, Vatican Observer here says that uh, it's uh, this 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 Italian says that it's something uh, that is being run up the flagpole, as it were, and that's going to be uh, exported uh, back to uh, Germany. He says that um, the uh, everything makes it clear that Francis has not um, raised objections to this program for the church in, in Germany. So that, that's supposed to be the next uh, step, that the uh, Germans, which... Um, Magister points out is one of the most disaster-ridden churches in the world, uh, will take this agenda from the Amazon Synod and will uh, will run with it. Well, it's certainly the kind of export that you'd want to raise a tariff against, your, oh, yeah. <laughs> your, your Excellency Father. But, but, but raising a tariff is something that only a sovereign nation can do, and that's not something that Francis is a fan of either. In a speech he gave to the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences last month, he said, the common good has become global and nations must associate. Unfortunately, we have before our eyes situations in which some nation states carry out their relations in a spirit of opposition rather than cooperation. Many tensions come from an excessive demand for sovereignty on the part of states 
often precisely in areas where they are no longer able to act effectively to protect the common good. And this was couched within a call for essentially a supranational organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here you have yet another uh, giant serving of what I call global only. <laughs> is that is that is that being studied by the Bologna School? Uh, yeah, the Bologna School of the Interpretation of Vatican II, and uh, I believe it was Bismarck who said that people don't want to uh, know what goes in either into the making of laws or sausages. And, uh, this this is what's being served up here, and it's it's uh, done uh, openly. It's an open leftist uh, agenda. And the, the, that a nation has a right to uh, sovereignty, uh, as it were, and to its own laws, etc. But uh, the leftist program of um, increasingly since the Second Vatican Co Council has has pushed this. Remember that the, the big deal and the shock it was, even to me as a kid, when the the monster Paul the Sixth went to the United Nations and said, uh, you know, jamais plus la guerre, war no longer, and that it is to the United Nations that the uh, nations of the world must come for their program of peace. I mean, you know, even as a, as a what, a 14 or 15-year-old kid, I knew that that was baloney. And, okay, uh, and he said it was the last hope of mankind. Last best hope. The last hope. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah, there it is, right? Uh, so uh, this has been going on for ages, and uh, here you see it—you um, see it really, really being pushed. And it's much easier in our own time because of the um, uh, how easy it is to communicate these ideas. Yeah, this idea of a world republic too goes back to the 18th century, the Illuminati were very, very high on the idea of a world republic. And then after the uh, Treaty of Versailles, the uh, extolling of democracy and the killing off of all of the monarchies and the extolling of democracy, which was always considered by philosophers to be the worst form of government, uh, as the, you know, the absolute way in which uh, human beings must be, must be governed and that anything else is tyranny. That's uh, the next, uh, by the way, a hundred years ago, this 1919, uh, and uh, then the establishment of the League of Nations. So th this really goes, you know, back to a lot of dark, uh, very, very uh, dark caves of plotting. And so they're trying to bring this to, to fruition now. And I think they're putting the heat, you know, turning up the heat on this thing. Because you see, you know, all of the socialism, you know, among the Democrats in this country, I mean, they have always been, you know, lefty, but the, the, and now it's calling for practically a communist state. I mean, practically, in fact, the communist state, I mean, like uh, occasional cortex, for example, uh, who is, you know, always blabbing about some sort of idiotic, crazy thing. And did you see in Ireland that they're going to, by 2030, they're going to do away with automobiles? Thanks for nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, what are we going back to the horses or what are we doing? You know, but you have to get around on public transportation and uh yeah, they're they're yeah, all of these insane 
crazy things that that are being proposed and and you know the the idiotic uh again occasional cortex saying that the uh that you know the world is going to end by 2030 or something like that if we don't do something about the climate change so um you know they're this they're really turning up the heat this is something going on uh there's some agenda that it sounds like they're they're late in getting what they need and, and they really want to uh change things in a very radical way and i think that they once they're uh, they have everything in place they're going to cause some sort of worldwide crisis either political or economic or both that will urge people to uh, get into this global socialism and giving up of sovereignty and so forth that's yeah, what i think um, one certainly can see that from the uh, as it were the signs of the times and that the um the publicity for it, the drumbeat, uh, et cetera, for it, and you, you get it from um, uh, you you get it from the power brokers of the world, who obviously are going to be the ones who are going to end up uh, end up in power, and in the the areas of finance, the areas of uh, uh, communication, the big tech giants, all of this stuff is uh, to their advantage because they figure they will end up on the top of it and uh, the rest of us poor souls will uh, end up on the bottom as their, uh, as their little profit points. So it, is, it, it looks indeed like it's something that's gaining speed and that's gaining momentum. And as you say, the old was the way to um, foment a revolution, a major revolution is to foment a crisis and mm-hmm. um, uh, foment and in our own time, uh, publicize, which is very easy to do, uh, crisis and, and spread propaganda. Mm-hmm. Now, let's don't forget that the human race is on the march to the times of the Antichrist. You know, we're in a, a procession, so to speak, every single day, and it gets closer, just like Christmas comes closer with every day. Uh, the 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 Antichrist is getting closer and closer, and in order for him to reign, the world has to be prepared for him. And and in all ways, they are making tremendous advances with regard to people's ideas, liberalism, and and uh, you know godlessness, and the whole uh, homosexual thing as being something you know that you could be proud of, and uh, who knows what else is coming down the line after they after the the sodomite pill has been swallowed and, and where that becomes a civil right. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of other, you know, things. And I always mention the sado, sadomasochists. I mean, why don't they have rights? And, 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 uh, you know, it's just, why not, you know, uh, and, uh, why don't they have parades and, and whatnot? And, uh, you know, once you abandon the natural law, anything goes and it's very, very, very scary. So, you know, I think we have to keep that in mind in all of this is that the world is not going to end well. <laughs> uh, and by that, I don't mean, you know, it's going to end tomorrow or people, you know, but I'm saying that the human race uh, has, has to meet up with the Antichrist. And it's, you know, things are not going to improve. They're going to get worse uh, because of that necessary procession that we are in that will end up with the Antichrist. And that has to be a global uh, world government with all sorts of very restrictive um, 
and uh, repressive uh, attitudes and where the Catholic faith will be uh, persecuted. And we, we have to understand that. And uh, very few faithful will be left on the face of the earth. There's some very insensitive comments about sodomites, uh, Your Excellency. Uh, Francis, Francis does not share your view. He received a, not just a homosexual, but an atheistic homosexual from Britain in the last month. And he told him, giving more importance to the adjective gay rather than the noun, man, is not good. We are all human beings and have dignity. It does not matter who you are or how you live your life. You do not lose your dignity. There are people that prefer to select or discard people because of the adjective. These people don't have a human heart. It's your overly your over focus on adjectives, Your Excellency. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, but that, that's uh, I mean, human dignity consists in first of all your human nature created by God in His image, and yes, everyone participates in that. But there is a moral dignity which you lose when you disobey the law of God. So, you know, people who are steeped in sin and who are attached to sin have lost their human dignity. And there's no human dignity in hell. You know, it, it's any more there's, and, then, and there's dignity in a garbage can. So, you know, but that is what is known as personalism. That was John Paul II. That the, you know, you're a person, so therefore... No matter what you do, your, your morality does not affect you as a person, and as a person, you have dignity. And you don't have dignity if you are an immoral person. I'm sorry, you don't. And, and uh, the Pope Pius XI said that uh, in one of his encyclicals, that, that, you know, the, that it consists, human dignity consists in the obedience to the law of God. So. We also have a visit that Francis made to Romania in which he discusses ecumenism. I always have this idea, ecumenism is not reaching the end of the game, of the discussion. Ecumenism is walking together, walking together, praying together, the ecumenism of prayer. In history, we have the ecumenism of blood. When they killed Christians, they did not ask, are you Catholic? Are you Orthodox? Are you Lutheran? No, they asked, are you a Christian? and the blood mixed together. It is the ecumenism of witness, another ecumenism of prayer, of blood, and then the ecumenism of the poor, those that work together, that we must work to help the sick, the infirm, for example, the people that are a little at the margin, below the poverty line, to help. Matthew 25 is a beautiful ecumenical program. It comes from Jesus. To walk together, this is already Christian unity, but do not wait for theologians to arrive at communion. Communion happens every day with prayer, with the memory of our martyrs, with works of charity, and even of loving one another. Mm, of well, course, this is, well, being, this is uh, being delivered to a mostly Orthodox nation in Romania. Yeah, this is Maddox. Uh, and uh, it, already he denies the, the dogma of the Council of Florence, that even if you should shed your blood, uh, you know, if people who are outside of the faith should shed, shed their blood for Christ, that that does, you know, not give them eternal salvation. So they, this has a scene. Stalin, when he uh, uh, persecuted the uh, Catholic Ukrainians, uh, you bet he asked people whether you're Catholic or Orthodox. Yes, yes, yes. There are many Catholics who were put to death by, by schismatics uh, because of, of the fact that they were Catholics. 
Yeah. And how many Protestants put Catholics to death in England and in Germany and Holland during the Reformation, various other places? Uh, and uh, no, it, it you know again, it's nonsense and and heresy. It's the spirit of heresy, and that that uh, yeah, ecumenism is walking together as if there are no dogmatic differences and and no nothing else to, to worry about just walking together because we, we both profess Christ. You know, we both accept him as the Lord. And uh, you know, it's a communism. You know, it goes back to Vatican II. That uh, Matthew all, 25 organization he talks about uh, is, uh, in fact, in some sort of international uh, evangelical outfit. And, uh, mm-hmm. in fact, their uh, operation uh, in the Cincinnati area, had its headquarters near the uh, uh, near the office of our uh, architect Joe Bear. It was just down the street from them, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's uh, one of those sort of indifferentist uh, type of programs. That is the uh, uh, you know it's uh, and you know to praise it as as Bergoglio did here. You know, again, this is the idea that uh, religion. Uh, consists uh, basically in handing out bologna sandwiches. Uh, and I mean a lot of bologna in his case. And the, uh, the reduction of it uh, to that, and as usual, well, dogma doesn't matter, that uh, it's, it's, everything is, 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 is sort of in praxis. That, mm-hmm. uh, that is the, this gives you the encounter with Jesus that is the, the essence of, of uh, uh, the religion. As we were saying, that, that, that when he uh, appointed uh, Supich the uh, cardinal in Chicago, he actually thought it was something to do with the soup kitchen. And that's, that's why he got the particular red hat. So. <laughs> yeah, and that comment, don't wait for theologians to agree to arrive at communion. This is an admission that after more than 50 years of Vatican II, there has not been a single reconciliation. Uh, of any of those who are outside of the church to the Catholic Church or what they perceive to be, uh, that that ecumenism has been a total failure from that point of view. And as I have pointed out in the past, the church uh, before Vatican II managed to reconcile many schismatics and many heretical groups to the Catholic Church, both uh, individually and in groups, uh, and was always working to do that time and time again and uh so but it's just a total failure the whole thing is a failure so we can't we can't you know uh worry about theologians we have to just walk together so that's the, the new way yeah the thing is that in the practical order the whole thing is a failure right if you look at at the the liturgical revolution that they launched uh people are fed up with that and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a reaction against it. Ecumenism is a giant flop. Their uh, idea of uh, presbyterium ordinis, et cetera, and the priesthood, well, I mean, that, that um, uh, you know, nice renewal there that, that ended up in the state penitentiary, you know, go down the list of, uh, yeah, and, and covered very well by the Vatican II means of social communication, okay? So <laughs> it's one... Uh, one joke, one cotton picking joke after another, and mm-hmm. one failure after another. The idea that people were going to somehow be drawn to the church 
is is a joke, and, and, and people are uh, uh, leaving in, in uh, drawers, and the Titanic is going down, and they're still insisting that no, there's there's no iceberg there, and that everything is just um, uh, everything is, is is just fine. This was a great success. I mean, that's just the stuff I can think of off the top of my head. Vatican II. If we went through all of those documents, we would see that it was a gigantic, uh, gigantic failure. The new evangelization, right? Mm -hmm. The new evangelization means that no one practices the faith in Europe anymore, and the the uh, Muslims are invading. So it's yes, the people live in a world of unreality after fifty years. Yes, and even South America is going over to the Protestants who practice the traditional evangelization. Yeah. In other words, you have to become a Protestant in order to be saved. Yeah. And and so Brazil and those uh, strongholds that they you know the final strongholds uh, for the Novus Ordo are 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 disappearing right now. And uh, but you know the the state of re, of the so-called Catholic religion in Europe and in North America is, is absolutely abominable. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, now Father Chicada and I will remember because we're more or less the same age. And we were told when Vatican II came out that this is going to, this is an attempt to draw people to the Catholic Church. Oh, you know, yeah. That we want, yeah, remember all of that? Oh, man. Unity and, and, you know, we're reaching out and we're going to draw them back to the Catholic Church. This is the reason for Vatican yeah. II. I remember that distinctly. And, uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> the whole thing. Not only have they not drawn anyone, they've driven people away in droves. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, but you know, and it's so blatant that you know that there's another agenda to it. You see that, that anyone that would be, uh, let's say, have a good intention and just misled would say, "Oh, this thing has been awful. We have to go back to the original product." Yeah. But no. They, they, you know, it's another dose of Vatican II, this huge hypodermic needle, you know, another shot right in the arm of Vatican, <laughs> Vatican II. And uh, what, what are you laughing at? <laughs> because I'm imagining this huge hypodermic needle of, uh, of hor- horrifying doctrine that people would get injected with. Yes. Yeah, that's well, true. <laughs> the, thing true. Is, the thing is that if you look at this document, you know, we, we've been going, we were going through the, 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 uh, the Amazon document, and uh, it is uh, Vatican II on steroids. And the, <laughs> uh, this is their solution to everything, the more of the stuff. Yes. And, yes. and uh, you know, that, that you, you up the dosage, and mm-hmm. it is simply not working. Yeah, well, I think it's working for them, though. I, I think there is a, an agenda with these people that they want to totally transform Catholicism. They're still using the Catholic name and the Catholic buildings oh, yeah. and all of that, but totally transform it into something that will prepare for for Antichrist. They have to work Catholicism into the agenda of Antichrist. Yeah. And you know, global religion and globalism, that's all he talks about is is some sort of naturalistic thing, you know, with global warming and the bishops of California just, you know, issued something seventy four hundred words on on uh, on you know what's uh, the, how global warming is affecting California, and as I said, the only thing affecting California is their liberalism, 
uh, they, which is making the forests burn because they won't let the, the companies take away the trees from where the power lines are. And so they, the power lines come down in, in various, you know, weather conditions or earthquakes or whatever. And they, uh, set alight these, these trees. And of course the whole place goes up. That's <laughs> why they're having problems in California. It's not because of, of, you know, the weather. And California has always had droughts and it's always had floods. It's earth, fire and water. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, California. I mean, you know, it's, everyone's got problems. As a place, the ground shakes, the the place burns up in the summer, and then it floods in the winter. <laughs> you know, but it's all they're worried about here. You know, what's really burning up is their church. You know, they, they, but they come together, and you know, we got to worry about California. And and the the what's really the problem is their church is burning up and burning to the ground, and and they you know, don't give a hoot about it. And, and I, I think it's because they really have an agenda. You could not possibly explain it in any other way. They are happy to see this happening. They want to see it happening. And, and uh, you know, there's no possible explanation for it otherwise. I, last time I checked, to become a member of the Swiss Guard, you are still required to be a Novus Ordo Catholic uh, or Novus Ordo adherent to, to be eligible. But in an address to the Swiss Guard, Francis wanted to emphasize that religious diversity is human wealth. He said, above all, you have the opportunity to create healthy friendship and train yourselves to respect the peculiarities and the idea of others, learning to recognize in the other a brother and a companion with whom to share serenely a stretch of the road. This will help you to live in society with the right attitude recognizing cultural, religious, and social diversity as human wealth and not as a threat. This is particularly important in a world where there are, as never before, large movements of populations and people searching for security and a dignified life. Like, is that, is that the people in the Amazon, though? You know? uh, well, this is, you know, it's more of the same old garbage. Uh, migration. Gypsies, let him take the gypsies and put them in his backyard in the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> knock that forty-foot wall down, and uh, 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 put up with all of that stuff that he expects the rest of the world to put up with. Yeah, you know, uh, 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 bring in the uh, Libyans and the people from Lower Africa, and uh, mm-hmm. put them right there in the Vatican Gardens. Put them up in the mm-hmm. Casa San Martha in the breakfast line. You know, yeah, uh, when, I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm all. I think that that's absolutely the uh, absolutely the right idea. You know, bring them in, give them a uh, espresso and a dose of Nutella, and let them go over and, and, and talk with a big genius at the table. Yeah, and they could live. They could move in with the cardinals in those apartments along oh, the Via yeah. della Conciliazione. You know, share share and share alike. You know, why should those big fat uh, cardinals have their own place? You know, bring in some of those migrants. You know. Well, the our, the segment is caution. Francis speaks and acts, and there's still more here, but we have to pass over them just briefly. I'll mention them because they led to an event in our next segment. Francis referring to novenas and penances as attempts to bribe God, uh, using a Palm Sunday sermon to rail against triumphalism. 
noting that Lutherans are those who follow the true faith of Jesus Christ, a criticism of uh, the wall of President Trump, uh, and noting that sometimes even getting angry with our Lord is a kind of prayer, it seems that even people like Cardinal Burke have had quite enough and put together something called a Declaration of Truths, which I have labeled the Syllabus of the Errors of Francis. So Burke and Schneider were the prominent signatories. There are five bishops altogether. And I just clipped a few of these, I would say, propositions, uh, Your Excellency Father, and, and uh, it would be helpful to note whether this can be held by a Catholic or if this is simply the best of what the Novus Ordo has to offer. Number six in this Declaration of Truths, spiritualities and religions that promote any kind of idolatry or pantheism cannot be considered either as seeds or as fruits of the divine word, since they are deceptions that preclude the evangelization and eternal salvation of their adherents, as it is taught by Holy Scripture, the God of this world has made blind the minds of those who have not faith, so that the light of the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, might not be shining on them. Well, as the modernists say, there's something to throw into the mix. You know, that's an opinion that, you know, uh, you can throw into the, the, the mix and that can be an object or something of, of uh, dialogue. But, you know, as far as there are, in, in this system, as far as it expressing any sort of truth, well, I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the concept really doesn't exist. Sorry, Cardinal Burke and, and uh, Monsignor Schneider. Mm-hmm. Also, th- this is, you know, this is essentially accusing him of heresy, but it doesn't accuse him of heresy. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, that's the fault of it. These are not things that are, you know, minor little deviations here and there. These, these are heresies that they are indirectly accusing him of. And uh, the fact that they remain in communion with him is the very problem. If they would become Sede Vacantis and, and declare him you know, a, a non-pope and move toward a conclave and elect a Catholic, that would solve all of the problems in the church. But as Father Chicada has said, preserving this man you know, and, and protecting his papacy is, is the, the worst thing that they could do. Why do we want to protect this man? Why not just get rid of him? And there's all the possibility and means in the world of getting rid of him and, and by just declaring that this man is a heretic and that, that we have to move to a new conclave. These propositions read like a highlight of Francis Watch over the last uh, four seasons. Number eight, mm-hmm. hell exists and those who are condemned to hell for any unrepented mortal sin, I think it's probably the first time mortal sin has been said in the mm. sort of, yeah. are, mm. are eternally punished there by divine justice. Not only fallen angels, but also human souls are damned eternally. Eternally damned human beings will not be annihilated since their souls are immortal according to the infallible teaching of the church. There you go. That's uh, implicitly anyone who says that they are annihilated, therefore, is a heretic. Yeah. I, I'm i rubbing my eyes because I see a citation for the Fifth Lateran Council, Father Chikata. I, I, I'm not quite sure if I can believe it. <laughs> uh, uh, n- proposition number nine, the religion born of faith in Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God and the only Savior of, of humankind, is the only religion positively willed by God. 
The opinion is therefore wrong that says that just as God positively wills the diversity of the male and female sexes and the diversity of nations, so in the same way he also wills the diversity of religions. That seems to be a point-by-point refutation of Francis. Yes, and where is the sentence that the uh, only religion positively willed by God is the Roman Catholic Church? Where is that sentence, please? Yeah, and they back away from that. Yes. Yes. I mean, where is that? They continue on in number 19. Marriage is by divine ordinance and natural law and indissoluble union of one man and of one woman. By their very nature, the institution of matrimony itself and conjugal love are ordained for the procreation and education of children and find in them their ultimate crown. <laughs> They're quoting Gaudium et Spes. And you know, it's, it's, it's pretty bad when you've got to quote Gaudium et Spes <laughs> to back your conservative position. Yes, yes, yes. Father. Yes. Well, that goes uh, to tell you they're they're uh, still sold on that, mm-hmm. and that you you yes. can't challenge the uh, uh, god that they've made of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. Yes. They continue on in number twenty eight in accordance with Holy Scripture and the constant tradition of the ordinary and universal magisterium. The Church did not err in teaching that the civil power may lawfully exercise capital punishment on malefactors, where this is truly necessary to preserve the existence or just order of societies. And I see a citation, I can't quite believe it, Father, but it says the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Mm. Yeah, funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> that's the first and citation it, I've seen to that in a long time. And Innocent the Third. I mean, that's like you know, getting <laughs> oh, a dinosaur <laughs> out. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> The, the Holy Paul. Father is wiping his eyes to be trotted out in, uh, by, by these people. Um, mm-hmm. he, hasn't, he hasn't seen the light of day in a long time. Uh, number 38, according to the constant tradition of the church, the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist may not be given to those who deny any truth of the Catholic faith by formally professing their adherence to a heretical or to an officially schismatic Christian community. And again, citing the flawed 1983 Code of Canon Law. Again, using Gaudium et Spes and the 83 Code, uh, this is the the fallback positions for these conservatives. Which code permits, in certain circumstances, intercommunion? Yes. Huh. So, I mean, citing that code just works against them. And notice, formally professing their adherence, as if the material heretics in the Lutheran Church or the Anglican Church, being only material could actually approach the Catholic communion rail. This, this is a very, very imperfect. Uh, the, the, it should be that, that Holy Communion may not be given to any non-Catholics, period. Uh, that's, you know, let it be clear. And to anyone that is a heretic. You know, but, you know, it's always this uh, gobbledygook language that they use that, that can be taken in various ways. But I, I can imagine a bunch of these semi-trads or neocons uh, giving each other high fives reading this document, uh, Your Excellency and Father. It, it, it's, it seems very harsh and syllab- syllabus-like to them, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the, uh, so, you know, they're consoled by it, that you, you have these, uh, uh, you know, these, these uh, people who are like uh, really um, 
big potatoes, as it were. In yeah, these five, these five guys. Yeah, the, the, the guy who is the, head, the chaplain of the, the Knights of Malta, which has just suppressed the traditional mass, and then some people from one of the stands out um, uh, Kazakhstan and, and Turkmenistan or whatever it is, and that the, uh, this is, is uh, really going to serve as uh, getting everyone's attention. But, you know, it's another SOP, and uh, the language is the way it is because they still have Vatican II as uh, part of their uh, toolkit, as it were. Yes, and mm-hmm. using the rubric of Vatican II, it comes with its own explanatory notes. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. good enough for it to have the document. You have to have a note explaining about the document. And in it, they have this unbelievable reversal, as opposed to it being a rebuke to Francis, it's supposed to apparently help him. A common mm. voice of the shepherds and the faithful, through a precise declaration of the truths, will be without any doubt an efficient means of a fraternal and filial aid for the supreme pontiff in the current extraordinary situation of a general doctrinal confusion and disorientation in the life of the church. As we often say, Your Excellency and Father, if the Holy Father only knew. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. If he only right. knew. Right. They know. I mean, these, uh, Burke knows what the problem is. Yeah. You know, this is all a waste of time. <laughs> well, this leads us to an open letter, which also uh, came out to the world bishops on a so-called heretical pope. And it said, We are addressing this letter to you for two reasons. First, to accuse Pope Francis of the canonical delect of heresy. And second, to request that you take the steps necessary to deal with the grave situation of a heretical pope. We take this measure as a last resort to respond to the accumulating harm caused by Pope Francis's words and actions over several years, which have given rise to one of the worst crises in the history of the Catholic Church. We are accusing Pope Francis of the canonical delict of heresy, for the canonical delict of heresy to be committed, Two things must occur. The person in question must doubt or deny by public words and or actions some divinely revealed truth of the Catholic faith that must be believed with the assent of divine and Catholic faith. And this doubt or denial must be pertinacious. That is, it must be made with the foreknowledge that the truth being doubted or denied has been taught by the Catholic Church as a divinely revealed truth, which must be believed with the assent of faith, and the doubt or denial must be persistent. While accusing a pope of heresy is, of course, an extraordinary step that must be based on solid evidence, both these conditions have been demonstrably fulfilled by Pope Francis. Mm, that's interesting. Uh, that's very interesting that they would say that because that means you can be pertinacious before you are warned. Yeah. Which well, is exactly what we have been saying again and again and again and again. Yeah, how many times have we said this? Do these people do yeah. any reading? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems, I mean, it, it, it seems as, as though these people have done some reading, Your Excellency, Father, insofar as they've put this out to the bishops, none of the bishops have signed on. And I think something like nine or 10,000 people have uh, signed on to this idea. Do you see this as, uh, uh, to take up the theme of seeds, seeds of hope? Well, well I, mean, I think it's a step in the right direction in the sense yeah. that it, it means that they are taking the accusations of the Sadivacantists seriously, that, that, uh, that the accusation of heresy is now being understood and uh, is becoming undeniable to them as for, for exactly what they said. And uh, I, I think that's a step in the right direction, but it's very imperfect. 
very imperfect. Also, it's it's hopeless in the sense uh, that you know expecting that hierarchy to do anything except be bad is is just a, a complete uh, you know, a hopeless. Uh, it has no value. The yes, as Father Chicada pointed out, you know the the hierarchy waving its hands in front of uh, sodomitic dancers in Brazil, teaching them how to dance is what you're appealing to here. And these are, these are, or are those bishops in California worried about, you know, the climate change in California. Well, well as I said, the, the church is burning down. Uh, the, uh, you know, you're, you're, this is so late. This should have been done. This should have been done by Cardinal Ottaviani in the 1960s. Yeah. All of those, those prelates who were more interested in dying with their careers intact, in uh, than, than doing something about the heresy of, of Paul VI and the council and everything else. This is so late that it's, you know, it's, it's useless and worthless, but it is, you know, it has, you know, uh, it's a step in the right direction. It means at least some people are starting to understand the problem. I would say that's all it represents. I look at discussions like this, like the, uh, uh, as, as I looked at the mode proprio, the uh, mm-hmm. B sixteen and what was it uh, two thousand five? That uh, yeah, the thing is that that it was a farce in many ways and idiotic and incomprehensible, but it took away the stigma from the traditional mass in the minds of many people who were part of the institution. So uh, it had a good effect from uh, that point of view to say that well, uh, you know, the this wanting the traditional mass isn't entirely loony if that's your taste, okay? So, I mean, uh, 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 that was something. So here, what you have is these people, and I think this is the second or third time around, the second or third bite of the apple for this uh, group of people. Uh, this has taken away this, uh, the stigma from being a state of a contest. People talk about it. No one ever talked about it before. And yeah. or, or they try to suppress it as as completely loony or completely crazy. But no, with Bergoglio, people are saying that, oh, it's possible for a, a heretic to become pope or, or uh, for a pope to become a heretic and that there's, there are, um, um, uh, you know, that, that uh, there are, there can be effects for something like that if it's proven. So the thing is that it's a step from uh, from that point of view, but you know, and for those for those people, it's a major step. It is. I would say that. I mean, because it, you can't imagine your excellency, your father, just a few years ago. I mean, we would have never seen heretical pope question marks around JP two or Benedict the sixteenth. Yeah, the, the the Overton window has been moved so far over by Francis that it is now normal to speak about. It's in a certain sense mainstream. To speak about, let's say, resignationism, people who believe that Benedict XVI is the, the Pope, the, 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 these people who write open letters accusing me of heresy, Burke and uh, Schneider putting together these so, so-called Declaration of Truths, these are normative now, and they would have been considered outrageous in the time of JP II and Benedict XVI. Yes. It, it, it yes. definitely has moved, Stephen. And then the thing is, as I say all the time to people virtually, every week I get two or three emails from people who say that they have become sedevacantists. 
Yeah. And that this is the only position that is logical and makes sense as an explanation for Bergoglio and the whole mess in the um, uh, Vatican II establishment. And it's a, um, uh, you know, that didn't, obviously that didn't happen, um, you know, before the, the uh, election of Bergoglio. But it, it's, uh, so something like this letter, uh, it, you pick up, uh, it, it, all of that picks up publicity, picks up on uh, momentum and makes it, uh, as it were, a respectable to position to hold that there are arguments for it, that it's not, you know, the, uh, the tinfoil hat crowd uh, and the black helicopters crowd who are... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the Roman hat crowd, I think. <laughs> Uh, well, that, that brings us to an end of another episode of Francis Watch. And I know you can't say that there's nothing going on at the seminary, Your Excellency, because we had to, to yes. work this okay. into the schedule. Yes, that's right. Yes, this was hard. There was a lot going on. Well, the, uh, well, we have two ordinations, one to the diaconate and one to the priesthood this coming week. And uh, let's see, I was just up in Quebec, where Father Dutertre is doing a great job of uh, giving the state of Acanthus people there a lot of great instruction, and he gives them Mass every week, and he just got his own place, and he's uh, all set up. And uh, uh, and I had been there a few weeks before, but I, I, was, uh, I went to both places this time where he says Mass. And uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, things are uh, going well. Uh, we have uh, uh, three new candidates for next year. And um, you, know, you never know who will come uh, during the summer. Also, we will have, uh, we're sending up to Cincinnati four seminarians to be tonsured uh, sometime in August, which is, uh, uh, should be a, you know, a shot in the arms of the people up there, two from Nigeria and two from their own parish. So uh, they will um, be able to, uh, when you have somebody that's tonsured, they can do a lot of things that they can't do when they can't, they're not tonsured. So it helps the seminary too. As I said, we can have pontifical vespers. You have to have uh, cope bearers who are tonsured for, for vespers. And so uh, pontifical vespers on a big feast day has these seven for the six uh, coat bearers, and uh, it, it's very difficult for the MC. It's the the, the uh, master of ceremonies. It's his nightmare because they all have to do this this sort of choreography in the sanctuary. And but it's wonderful for the bishop because he just sits there. There is no easier ceremony for a bishop than vespers. He just sits, and everybody else does everything else, and they come over to him, and you know they they say get up now, and you know. So. So well, I always look forward to pontifical vespers. <laughs> as, as I poked from going to sleep or anything. <laughs> as, as a special as special person to do that, he's in a cult too. <laughs> as, as I was told by a master of ceremonies this time last year, once you've done an Episcopal consecration, it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yes, that, right. that's true. That's true. It's uh, yes. So. Uh, yeah, so we can look forward to a lot of ceremonies with them. You know, and uh, even on Sundays, if it's not pontifical, to have the cope bearers, they need to be tonsured. So you could have uh, uh, solemn vespers, uh, you know, with the, with the cope bearers. It, it's a beautiful ceremony. Very, very nice way of doing vespers. And, uh, 
So, uh, and they, they can do other things too. They, they can touch chalices. They can, a lot, a lot of little things that, that they can do, which helps. They can be subdeacons too. They can act as subdeacons at uh, solemn mass, which helps a lot. Do you have an update on the health of the French seminarian? Uh, your, your uh, yes, uh, he's doing a lot better. Father Duterte was just in France and he saw him and he said he's doing a lot better. But he's still not there. He's still not uh, where he should be. Uh, he's uh, managing to sleep six hours a night, whereas before he had a great deal of insomnia. Uh, he, uh, but on the other hand, uh, you know, he's he's you know he's got more strength, and and but you know his concentration is on and off, and he, he still can't uh, concentrate on his studies uh, sufficiently. Uh, you know, it's good days and bad days. Uh, sometimes he's feeling better, sometimes not so well. He's on a very, very restricted kind of diet. And so, you know, in the opinion of Father Duterte, he doesn't think that he would be able to come back in September. And, you know, unless obviously he has some great recovery between now and September. But uh, that, that was his opinion, that he's still not ready. Although he says that, that the seminarian Henri uh, Chapeau de la Charonie, uh wants very much to return in September. So, and I do too. I would like to see him return. He's a very good vocation, and he's uh, yeah. I mean, he only has uh, well, he had he should have been ordained a deacon. He should be ordained a deacon this uh, this Monday. Uh, that he was on schedule for that, but he had to leave in in December, and uh, uh, and uh, so that was that was that. Can you hear me? Yes, we'll definitely be okay. keeping him in our prayers. Okay. So, uh, uh, so yeah, uh, yes, somebody to pray for. A, he's a very strong vocation, and we need somebody else in Quebec who is of French language. And so, you know, we wish we had him, but we don't. And uh, so we, we need to pray for him. Yes, and so that's why they occasionally send you up there, I suppose, Your Excellency. I'm the only one that speaks French, and uh, I'm going to do something about that. You know? so, uh, and, and we also have to get a Skype school going in French for the people up there. So we, we well, have a big agenda. <laughs> as you can see, Father Jakarta, His Excellency's usual lack of ambition uh, is, is, is showing, is showing <laughs> yeah, through. That's right. <laughs> will, will, will you be having solemn pontifical vespers up at St. Gertrude's? Well, I think it's pretty hard to resist. You know, you put it that way. Uh, <laughs> the, if, if, if it's, we look upon, uh, say, pontifical mass and say Gertrude's is sort of the equivalent of a pickup basketball game. <laughs> uh, you know, if you get the personnel, you think, oh, let's do a pontifical, you know, lay out the vestments on the altar. <laughs> uh, here, here at St. Gertrude's, of course, we had uh, Holy Week, which uh, went extremely well. We had uh, the uh, big events over the uh, past uh, couple of weeks have been a uh, um, uh, the the um, confirmation, uh, which we do on the vigil of Pentecost. After the the long solemn vigil, the children are confirmed. This year, because Corpus Christi was so late, we had the first communion and pontifical mass on Pentecost Sunday itself, 
Uh, our choir has been doing an absolutely magnificent job with different Renaissance motets and even with some, uh, uh, some uh, contemporary, some modern uh, motets based on Gregorian chant. There are some people who are still writing some, some good and, and uh, interesting music. Uh, we had the um, Feast of Corpus Christi uh, yesterday, and we chanted the uh, entire divine office, actually rectitone uh, uh, most of it, but still it's uh, quite an accomplishment, very nice devotion before the Blessed Sacrament exposed. On Sunday, we're going to have an external solemnity of Corpus Christi. And uh, with that, we're going to have a, uh, the outdoor procession and uh, the exposition. That will be the end of our choir season. On the um, uh, Father Chicada front, uh, I'm um, working on a uh, uh, video, which uh, I will, uh, to keep uh, visitors um, sort of intrigued, I'm not going to tell you what it's about, what the <laughs> Uh, but uh, it should be a great deal of fun. It'll be uh, done in a short fashion, a more concise, uh, as a way of appealing to millennials. And it will also employ cartoons. Uh, we have someone, a young man in the church who is an animator, and he will uh, do the cartoons for it. Some people will maintain that all of the videos already I've been making were cartoons and were satires, but no, this will be the real thing. This will be, and uh, I think it will be an effective way to make uh, make this point. Our priests are um, figuring out their um, programs for the summer. Uh, I just mentioned one interesting thing is uh, Father Avila Lateranta, who is our resident historian. Uh, he has a degree and a master's degree in history from the University of Helsinki. He has a, a great knowledge of American history, uh, better than uh, certainly any one of us here. So for his time off, he's going Speak to... Speak for yourself. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> Present company excluded. Okay. <laughs> uh, he's going to tour the uh, uh, different American historical sites. Uh, in fact, some down south, which should be, uh, uh, I'm sure he'll come back with very interesting reports. So that is what, what he'll be up to. I will be going to Milwaukee for a 50th anniversary of my graduation from the seminary high school. And uh, that should be, uh, you know, quite interesting to say the least. <laughs> I would say that of the uh, few ecclesiastics in my senior class in 1969, I would say that probably I've had the most interesting ecclesiastical career. So, <laughs> yeah, you might that, get to meet you might get to meet the partners of, of some of your classmates there. Yes. Uh, yeah, the legitimate and otherwise. Well, are, are they ho holding it at the local prison? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, actually, uh, there were three other guys in uh, my class who made it to the, um, uh, what they call ordination. And, uh, I mean, all of them stayed at it and no one was jailed. So I guess that's something. Um, also, uh, after that, later in the summer, is her 
Is it bef- no, it's before that. It's the Yang, the um, young adults gathering of for Sadie young folks. This is the third one. We have a. I think we have nearly fifty signed up so far, uh, and we have um, the cutoff is June thirtieth for the uh, sign up to it. That'll be, I'm sure, another uh, another great success. And there uh, will be lots of fun for all those involved. So, you know, the beat uh, uh, goes on here at St. Gertrude the Great. And uh, we have, uh, we're looking forward to an action-packed summer. Well, it sounds like a great chance for cultural enrichment there at the YAG. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, You'll have to incorporate that into the liturgy. Yeah, I'm not sure how you would <laughs> incorporate that in, uh, like, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, the culture in Ohio is not exactly, shall we say, as colorful as, uh, you know, the dancing uh, Amazon. Mm. So uh, I'm sure we'll come up with... I think there's a lot, a lot of pig farms in southern Ohio, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I think a symbolic, especially uh, with some porkers. Uh, <laughs> Probably would be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably be good, but then you know that would give sense to uh, uh, you know perhaps the large Jewish population and, and Muslim, Muslim, and then we've got Muslims right up. We've got a mosque yeah. right up the road, so uh, you know you have to be discreet with those ham sandwiches. <laughs> well, we'll 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 leave the ham sandwiches for our next installment of Francis Watch, which will be after this summer. But as always. In the middle of a week, bookended with ordinations, we're very grateful for your time, Your Excellency. Thank you very much, and also to you, Father. And we will see you after this summer for another episode of Francis Watch. Fantastic. God bless you all. Thank you and very as, much. And as always, a special thanks to our sponsors, Novus Order Watch, who make this show possible. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.